week, I think you've had a great Father's Day celebrating your husbands, your fathers. I hope that um, some of you have been able to allow God to help you to forgive um, past hurts and harms and um, also renew relationships with your fathers and husbands. Um, and if not, just keep leaning in and God will change your heart. He will change their heart. You know, in all honesty, he's the only one who can change things for us. You know, I said before that I struggled for many years. My dad was a um, an angry uh, alcoholic. He didn't have a good childhood himself. I didn't find out till later on. Uh, during the process of God restoring our relationship and um, that he didn't have a good relationship with his parents. Unfortunately, both of his parents passed away when he was a very young child. Um, so he was raised by family members who abused him and his sister uh, horribly. And uh, so he didn't really know how to be a dad I mean he knew that's what was expected so that's what he did but he didn't have the skills he was never taught the skills to be a good dad his heart wanted to be but you know when we suffer abuse as children sometimes unknowingly we carry that into our own relationships and um, thankfully God had restored ours and his heart back to God shortly before he passed away, which, you know, really helped me um, know that I will get to see him again one day. Um, anyway, let's get started. This is chapter two of Song of Solomon, My Darling Daughters. And I hope that this blesses you. I hope it ministers to you. I hope that you can glean information from this. And throughout, I will be adding little bits and pieces as I feel God leads of, of my life and how this ministers to me as I read through it. Um, and like I said before, this is something that God put on my heart over a year ago. Never written anything like this before. So I totally believe that this is God moving through me. And um, again, I hope it blesses you. So let's get started. Uh, chapter 2, in verse 1, this is the woman starting to see herself as, as he sees her, her king, her, her lover of her soul. In verse 2, the lover speaking to the heart of the Shulamite, the woman. Verse 1 says, I am truly his rose, the very theme of his song. I'm overshadowed by his love growing in the valley. And then he responds, yes, you are my darling companion. You stand out from all the rest. For though the curse of sin surrounds you, still you remain as pure as a lily, even more than all others. And the Hebrew text says that a rose of Sharon, the word Sharon can be translated to or as his song. She now sees herself as the one he sings over. Isn't that awesome? You know, the 
the Bible even says that God sings over us. It is such an amazing thought to me that God wants my heart to know his love so deeply. Forgive my emotion, but this this really touches my heart that he sings over me. Sorry, I just sat there for a minute to think about it. And this, there's a side note that I have here too. It says, let's stop here for a second, marinate in the thought that he sings over us, which is what I just did. <laughs> um, we are his delight. He smiles when he thinks of each of us. We bring joy to him just acknowledging him. We get up in the morning and, and our first thought is a worship or our first breath is thank you God. This brings joy to him. We delight, we lift his heart when we place him in that position. He delights in us more and more. He is excited when we take those few precious moments to meet with him. He rejoices in our desire to know him more. The picture that I keep seeing, for lack of a better description, is kind of like he's doing a happy dance, you know? Like he is, they notice me, they notice me. Oh, my heart is delighted. She said good morning to me. I mean, it's just, you know, like as a new parent, when when you go in, and hopefully most of you women, you know, have children, and if not, this is something that hopefully you get to experience soon. When you go in in the morning, and that first look at your child, and their eyes are open, and their face lights up, how does your heart leaps out of your chest? And that is how God rejoices over each of us. That he, that we acknowledge him. His heart leaps for joy. This is amazing to me. That the God of all creation gets excited when I acknowledge him like who am I and yet I am so loved by him that he is excited in the mornings when I get up and I do my devotionals and I take a moment and I just sit there in his presence and thank him for the breath in my lungs the life that he has given me and He's just sitting there. I, I almost picture him kind of leaning forward with his, his hand holding his chin and just just absorbing every little word that I speak to him. Let's move on. <laughs> I don't want him to be too long that people don't want to listen or they don't have time to listen. But, okay, he, does, he rejoices in our desire to know him more. The picture... That I went over, yes. Okay, sorry, moving on. As I, as I said, I'm reading through this. 
that's his response to our hearts. He is so excited that we are choosing to trust him with it, that he takes our hearts and handles it so carefully and so gently, careful to embrace and protect our broken, damaged hearts so that he can gently, carefully restore them to his design. That just amazes me. The Amplified Version in verse 2 says, Like a lily among thorns. This references the curse of sin, the thorns, and the crown of thorns. Jesus wore on the cross as he died to take away the curse of sin that we are all born into. His love knows no boundaries. He will chase us to the ends of our lives, giving us every opportunity to find him. He knows our every hurt and even our deepest, darkest ones that only our soul remembers. That even our minds can't allow us to see because it causes us too much pain. He is there. Let's take a quick break for a moment. Good morning, ladies. This is actually a re-recording of chapter two. <coughs> Excuse me. Goodness gracious. <coughs> Trying not to cough. Um, I realized after I'd recorded chapter two that the um, vocals were not loud enough and you have to really turn it up to hear it. So... We are using a different form of recording today, and I'm redoing chapter two. Let's see. In chapter two of Song of Songs, verse one, is the woman starting to see herself as her king sees her. In verse two, it is the lover speaking to the heart of the Shulamite, the woman. Verse one, I am truly his rose, the very theme of his song. I'm overshadowed by his love growing in the valley. Verse 2, yes, you are my darling companion. You stand out from all the rest. For though the curse of sin surrounds you, still you remain as pure as a lily, even more than all others. Now, the Hebrew text says a rose of Sharon. The word Sharon can be translated as his song. She, she now sees herself as the one he sings over. There's a side note here. Let's stop here for a second and marinate on this thought. He, God, sings over us. We are his delight. He smiles when he thinks of each of us. As we learn to delight in him, he delights in us more and more. He is excited when we take those few precious moments to meet with him in our day. As our hearts long for more and more time with him, he rejoices in our desire to know him more. The picture I keep seeing for lack of a better description is he is doing a happy dance. 
you know, with a childlike joy and anticipation for an upcoming new adventure. That is his response to our hearts. He is so excited that we are choosing to trust him with it. He takes our heart. He handles it so very gently, careful to embrace and protect our broken, damaged hearts so that he can gently, carefully restore them to his design. The Amplified Version, verse 2 says, like a lily among thorns. This references the curse of sin in the crown of thorns. Jesus wore on the cross as he died to take away the curse of sin for us all. His love knows no bounds. It knows no boundaries. He will chase us to the ends of our lives, giving us every opportunity to find him. He knows our every hurt, even the deepest, darkest ones that only our souls remember. That even our minds can't allow us to see because it causes us too much pain. He is there. I want to go back for a second. This wasn't in the other one. His love, he will chase us to the ends of our lives, giving us every opportunity to find him. He is literally waiting for each and every one of us to realize his love for us. I cannot find the words to describe what it means to me that God sent his only son so that I could be reunited with him. I have a son, an only son. <laughs> I cannot imagine asking my son to die for somebody I don't know. Imagine all those parents, all those moms whose sons chose the military as an occupation, knowing that their sons could very well die for our very own freedom. I cannot When I, when I think about what God has done for me, obviously I become emotional because my life has not afforded me this kind of love. My childhood, I feel like I just survived it. it there are very few happy memories of my childhood, very few glimpses of joy or laughter. I don't remember hearing my name called with, um, with joy a lot of times or excitement. Usually, usually I was in trouble. I was getting yelled at for one thing or another. Um, so to know somebody loves me so much 
that they purposely sent their son and their son willingly gave his life for me is just beyond what my mind can wrap around. So to know that God loves me so much that even in my deepest, darkest places that my mind cannot allow me to remember because the trauma is so severe, God is there. He's literally there protecting you from that memory and and allowing you to know of it, but not have to relive it over and over again. Unless you ask him to, unless it is part of your journey, God protects us in that way. Let's start off with, let's get back to it and get into verse 3 that starts off with the Shulamite, the woman speaking again to her king. Verse 3. My beloved is to me the most fragrant apple tree. He stands above the sons of men. Sitting under his grace shadow, I blossom in his shade, enjoying the sweet taste of his pleasant, delicious fruit. Resting with delight where his glory never fades. In verse 4, suddenly... He transported me into his house of wine. He looked upon me with his unrelenting love divine. Verse 5, revive me with your raisin cakes. Refresh me again with your apples. Help me and hold me for I am lovesick. I am longing for more. Yet how could I take more? Verse 6, His left hand cradles my head while his right hand holds me close. I am at rest in his love. Wow. First glance, this seems to be getting pretty steamy. (laughs) However, there is so much more here that then this speaks of than just the sexual content that, that we would generally tend to go to. God speaks so much deeper than flesh. Intimacy is so much deeper than than flesh. He desires to know us like he designed Adam and Eve. He wants us to walk with him, talk with him, to want to spend every waking moment in his presence. He desires for us to know him so deeply that we walk and talk differently. That there is an air of confidence that the world cannot destroy. In the book Captivating that I've been reading by John and Stacy Eldridge, They talk about when a woman knows that she is truly loved, she becomes radiant. Her beauty shines out from her heart because she is sure that her God loves her with every ounce of her being. The radiance is God's love shining out from all our cracks, so to speak. He designed us to shine. 
the love of Jesus to all the world. If we are not sure we are loved, how then are we going to share that same love? We can't. All right, let's read on so we can find out. Here we're going to go through a few verses um, because they, they're all so very linked with each other. In verse 5, it references the reference to the raisin cake and apples are the sweet promises of God's grace that sustain us. In verse 6, where it talks about his left hand cradles my head, the Hebrew word for left is small, which can also mean dark. The left hand of the Lord speaks of the mysteries of his ways, the unseen activities of grace, which are also so little understood and would seem, for lack of a better word, dark to us. Because his grace is usually unseen by the naked eye, and often we take it for granted. The reference to his right hand secures us in the knowledge of his love for us, divine, extravagant, undeserved, and perfect love. And as we read on now to verse 7, it is the shepherd king speaking of his bride in anticipation. He waits for her to notice him. Verse 8 through 10 here are her responses to the revelation that he is waiting just outside for her. In verse 7, promise me, brides-to-be, by the gentle gazelles and the delicate deer, that you will not disturb my love until she is ready to arise. I love the Passion Translation, which, by the way, is, is where this is. I'm getting this from. Verses 8 through 10, because the wording is full of excitement. Verse 8, listen, my love is approaching. Look, here he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. Verse 9, my love is like a gazelle or a young stag. See, he is standing behind our wall, gazing through the window, peering through the lattice. 10a, and I break 10 down a lot because there's just so many bits and pieces. So verse 10a, my love calls to me. Listen, I hear my lover's voice. She is excited and is desiring to hear him speak to her as we should desire to hear God's voice speak to our hearts. She continues, 10b, I know it's him coming to me, leaping with joy over the mountains, skipping in love over the hills that separate us to come to me. She continues to express her love, desire, and excitement to have him pursue her, to seek after her until he finds her. You know, our heart's desire to be chased, pursued, it excites us. It gives value to our hearts, allows us to know that we are loved, desired by our creator, that he will not stop looking for us and seeking us out. In verse 10, 10c, let me describe him. He is graceful as a gazelle, swift as a wild stag. Now, to explain, it keeps referencing the deer and the gazelle. The deer and the gazelle are symbols of the joys of love, the excitement, the anticipation of it. 
what today we might call butterflies. Um, do you remember the excitement of a new love? You couldn't think of anything else. No matter what you were doing, your mind often drifted off in anticipation of seeing them again, being near them again, feeling their touch, hearing their voice. It's the same with God. The more you seek him, the more you are excited by his voice, his touch, his presence in your life. 10D, now he comes closer, even to the places where I hide. He gazes into my soul, peering through the portal as he blossoms within my heart. The one I love calls to me. My heart rejoices and dances within my chest reading this. The one I love calls to me. He calls to me. He seeks me out in my hiding place where my heart is fearful. He seeks me out of my hiding place. He draws me near to him. He holds me close and whispers into my damaged, broken heart. I love you with an everlasting love. He promises to never leave me or forsake me. He allows me to stay protected, shielded from the lies of the world that ring in my ears. He offers me peace, comfort, protection from the one who seeks to destroy me. My hero, my champion, my king. You know, as a little girl, I wanted so much for my daddy to be my hero, my champion, my knight in shining armor, but he wasn't able to be. He didn't know how to be. So then I looked as I got older to boys and they couldn't, they couldn't fit that mold either. And each time my heart broke a little at the realization that I wasn't special enough to have a champion for my heart. The one who would fight for me, seek me out of my hiding place. So I learned to settle. And in that settling decided that no man was worthy of my heart. I might give them physical love, but no one would ever get near my heart. The longer I held on to that lie, the harder my heart became. I decided all men were no good, including God. I was so angry at him. His Bible is full of love. <laughs> My first, my first thought was always lies. It's all lies. He didn't love me. How could he allow the things that happened to me and still say he loved me? Finally, I was so tired of carrying this heavy load, doing all this by myself and not making any progress. 
I was shutting everybody out. I, I so desperately wanted people to be close by. But I couldn't dare let them in. I was almost working on my second divorce. When I finally caved, <laughs> literally, I was tired, exhausted from being the strong one in my family, tired of only having the physical when my heart desired so much more. I finally had to sit down with God and I said, if your word is true, prove it. Oh, I can promise you it didn't happen overnight. As a matter of fact, it has been quite a few years for me to get where I am now. That's why I call him the gentlest of gentlemen. He is careful to not rip the band-aid off, but lovingly pull off layer by layer of hurt and brokenness, gently healing with each step to ensure that he is trustworthy of my heart over and over and over again. He is the one that loves me most. Let's take a quick break right here. All right, now we're back. I had to get a little bit of water. <laughs> Forgive me. Let's continue on verse 10e. I told you I broke it down a lot. This is the bridegroom king responding to her. Arise, my dearest. Hurry, my darling. Come away with me. I have come, as you have asked, to draw you to my heart and lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one. Verse 11, the season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended. And the season of hiding is over and gone. The rains have soaked the earth. Verse 12, and left it bright with blossoming flowers. The season for singing and pruning the vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. Oh my goodness. I get emotional in this part. That where he, especially where he talks about the season of hiding is over and gone. This speaks so deeply to my heart. Because for so many years, I had hidden my heart away from everyone. No one was good enough for my heart. No one was allowed inside there. So to hear that he has sought me out from my deepest, darkest hiding places, telling me that it's over my hiding is over. Not just over, but it's gone. He has taken it. He has taken that hurt and he has taken that pain and he has removed it and he has replaced it with his healing salve 
of forgiveness and grace and mercy. <sighs> he has wiped it away. No need to hide in fear any longer. He has championed my heart, rescued me from the bondage of sin and shame. I am free from the things that held me down, that trapped me in a prison of fear, doubt, anxiety, and loneliness. Can you see it yet? Can you see that place yet? Are you able to allow him to rescue you? To allow him to be not just your knight in shining armor, but your king, your champion, the one who loves you most. Here he asks us that very question in verse 13. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers, there is change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. For now is the time to arise and come away with me. Verse 14, for you are my dove hidden in the split open rock. It was I who took you and hid you up high in the secret stairway of the sky. Let me see your radiant face and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful your eyes of worship and lovely your voice in prayer. Verse 15, you must catch the troubling foxes that hinder our relationship for they raid our budding vineyard of love to ruin what I've planted within you. Will you catch them and remove them for me? We will do it together. In verse 14, this refers to two different parts of the scripture. The cleft is the wounded side of Jesus, our rock, where we hide and rest. And also, this refers to when Moses asked God to show him his glory, and God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock in Exodus 33, 22. These are significant because Moses being hidden in the cleft of the rock was a foresight to the wounded side of Jesus. It was, it is and was a protection because without Jesus, we cannot be in the presence of God without the covering, without the forgiveness of our sins. We cannot be in the presence of God. He is too holy. It would immediately eliminate us from existence. And moving on in verse 15, the foxes are the compromises that we have allowed deep, deep, 
into our hearts. These are areas of our lives where we have not yet allowed Christ to shine into and reveal that this is what keeps the fruits of the Spirit from growing within our lives. These are the things that we have kept secret, whether knowingly or unknowingly. We have allowed them access and they keep us from trusting God fully. The fear, anxiety, depression, jealousy, unforgiveness, that's a big one, doubt, anger, resentment, hate, guilt, and shame. For those carrying shame, I need to tell you, that's not yours to carry. That shame is not yours. You did nothing to be shameful of. We're all sinners. We all make mistakes. We all fall. But there's a different kind of shame when you've suffered abuse of one form or another. That shame, that woulda, shoulda, coulda, that we carry is not ours to carry. And God asks us, those are also part of these foxes that prevent us from stepping wholeheartedly, fully into what God is calling us to because of our past. God says, lay them down. He says, right now, put them at my feet. Lay them there. Leave them there. I don't see them anymore. You don't need to carry them any longer. They're not yours. Lay them down. They are alive from Satan himself. You are my darling daughters. You are loved fully as you are. There is nothing that we could ever do to change that with him. Nothing. So we need to take that guilt off and literally drop it at his feet and ask him forgiveness of carrying it with us for so very long in our lives. Not knowing, sometimes not knowing that we were carrying this, that, that we even, that, that we could even lay it down, that it was even an option. It's been so much a part of our lives up to this point. And God says, give it to me. Please give it to me. We'll do this together. We'll do this together. You don't have to do it by yourself. And all we really have to do is just say, okay, God, you can have it. You can have it. Please take this from me. That's all. And then he does everything else. Ugh. I tell you, <laughs> there is just so much in, in this whole section. And I love how he finishes that verse with the question. Will you catch them and remove them for me? Then states, if your heart is willing to surrender them to me, we will do it together. He doesn't leave it for us to do because there's no way we possibly could. There's absolutely. And I know, you know, I, 
I'm considered the strong one in my family. You can ask any one of my siblings. They look at me as the strong one. When we were growing up, if I cried, things were really wrong. <laughs> um, and they looked at that as a sign of strength. In all honesty, it's a sign of weakness. It's a, it's a sign of, of pretending to be who everybody thought I was. I wish I had known sooner that I didn't have to do it myself. But then I may not be here doing this now if I had. God simply asked for us to be willing to submit it to him so that we can do it together. Again, he is the gentlest of gentlemen. He doesn't take it from us. He asks us permission to remove what is hindering us, what is hurting us. He reveals it to us without guilt or shame and simply says, can I remove this from you so that you can be free of its bondage? Moving on to verse 16 and 17, the Shulamite responds, verse 16 I know my lover is mine and I have everything in you for we delight ourselves in each other. Verse 17, but until the day springs to life and the shifting shadow of fear disappears, turn around my lover and ascend to the holy mountains of separation without me until the new day fully dawns. Run on ahead like a graceful gazelle and skip like the young stag over the mountains of separation. Go on ahead to the mountain of spices. I'll come away another time. In verse 16, the Shulamite, which is us, knows in her heart that she is reconciled to him. No one else will ever have her heart, her whole heart. In verse 17, however, she states that until the day springs to life and the shifting shadows of fear disappear, turn around, my lover, and ascend. She knows he must leave, but he's not left her. He is still with her or us, not physically, but spiritually in the person of the Holy Spirit, our helper. And who knows? Maybe in that part also, that she's not ready. She's not in a place that she can let go of whatever it is he's asking her to let go of, to move up, to ascend to the higher place that he is calling her to. We've all been there. There are times in our lives where God has shown me, or in my life, I should say, where God has shown me something and I step back instead of stepping into. I've stepped back away from it because of the shame, because of the guilt, because knowing my story as fully as I do, not feeling worthy enough. But I don't have to be worthy enough. I am the way I am. I am worthy enough just as I am, because Jesus allows me. Jesus purifies me. Jesus, sorry, my phone. Jesus 
is the equalizer in this. He is the one that removes the guilt and the shame. He covers that. And in covering that qualifies me for where God is calling me. Ladies, I pray that you enjoy this recording, this re-recording, as a matter of fact. I pray that this next week is blessed, that you find God in these hidden secret places, that he finds you, that he sends you little love notes throughout your week, reminding you how much you were loved, how much you were desired, and how much you are treasured. God bless.